This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Uh, I've had a really interesting week. I've got to tell you what's happened in the last few days. First of all, I've had a bit of laryngitis during the week, so my voice is not really up to scratch. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. Been popping the strepsils like lollies this morning, and I thought, you know, maybe I should look at the ingredients. And it says it, con- it contains maltodextrin, and to have it every two to three hours, that excessive consumption can cause a laxative effect. I've been having them every 15 to 20 minutes. So if I suddenly disappear during the show, you know, I'll be in a bit of a strepsils break. Yeah, definitely. We'll clear a, clear a pathway. Thanks, Beefy. Also, I went to see a Vita on Wednesday night at the Arts Centre. This is a bit of a funny story. I originally bought tickets to it about a month ago, and um, I was getting ready to go in the evening by myself. I'm, I'm leaving home, and I thought I'd better have a look at the ticket. And it turns out it was for 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I already missed the performance. Oh, no. What an idiot. So I had to ring them up, and I had to buy a brand new ticket. Yeah. So they're like an email saying they've actually cancelled the performance. Oh. And I'm thinking, am I jinxed or something? So anyway, I ended up going on Wednesday night. I rock up there. I'm by myself. You know, I'm sort of sitting there around a lot of people. And I, I tried to be a bit chatty. And I said to the people next to me, oh, I'm by myself. And they're like, oh, you're so brave. And I said to the lady next to me, do you know the music? And she goes, yes. And that was about it. And I thought, like, no one wants to talk to me. I'm like the weirdo in the row. <laughs> Everyone's so unfriendly. Or is, is it because before I went there, I had actually a takeaway souvlaki with double garlic sauce? That's the other question. Really? Double garlic? Yeah, it was good. It was like 30 degrees on Wednesday. Yeah. Rock up to the art centre. It, it's like the Arctic. I've got so many clothes on that I had to wear on the train. I'm nearly dying. I couldn't wait to get out of the theatre because I thought I want a bit of summer. Got out and it was raining. Weirdly enough, I was going to go and see uh, Van Led Zeppelin-esque rock band called Greta Van Fleet on Wednesday night. Oh, that sounds cool. They cancelled as well. Really? Yeah, because guess why? The lead singer had laryngitis. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> sounds good. Anyway, we had the Super Bowl over the weekend yes, in it was America. Super Bowl. Thirteen to three. How? Oh, yeah, I heard it was boring. <laughs> yeah. well, we, we won't be having Adam Levine barechested at halftime today, like he performed at the Super Bowl. That is the bad news because that was the highlight of the week. Did you see some of the tweets that came through about the halftime show? Is uh, things like when Adam Levine ripped his shirt off, significant NFL violations were brought to light. <laughs> we will not be silent. Justice for Janet Jackson. <laughs> One tweet. This is brilliant. Basically, the main problem with the halftime show was the fact that the whole world could actually hear it. It's brilliant. Things like I wish a hologram of Prince would appear on stage, start beating Maroon Five with a purple boot, and then break into Purple Rain. <laughs> This is The Bucket List on SEM Plus 1377. On the line, we've got Louise from Brighton, originally from New York. Hello, Louise. Hello. Did you watch the Super Bowl uh, over the weekend? I did. I got up fairly early to see what was going on in the States and then watched the game at 10.30 a.m. here, which is very bizarre when you're used to watching it at 6.30 p.m. in New York. Yeah. What did you think? incredibly dull yeah it was <laughs> but that's common though they're so good at what they do that it's very hard to move the ball do you think people have more fun at the super bowl parties you know with their friends oh absolutely it's free reign to take in as many calories and cholesterol as you can i think people end up running up their cholesterol probably as high as the runs in the west indies it's that high <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a free-for-all. I think the only good fat would be guacamole, but when you eat six avocados, I don't think it counts anymore. We, we sort of do, <laughs> here in Australia, we're simple folk. We just call it a smash to avo, you know? Ah. 
So it really is go in there, put on your feed bag, and then you have a food coma for a couple of days yeah. after. It is the second highest day for food consumption in America is the Super Bowl Sunday. Obviously, Next thanks, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the best. <laughs> you know what, Lou? There's been quite a bit of controversy in this particular uh, NFL because of the halftime yeah. entertainment. Yeah, bizarre because the Janet Jackson mishap and the Adam Levine take your shirt off thing is you know quite a contradiction why why should he get away with it as it were I think that was the highlight of the performance I'm not really big on all the tattoos I know it's very fashionable but not for me so um, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you take from that what you'd like yeah. and just keep eating <laughs> thank you so much for your time thanks Lou thanks Lou Be well well, Di, we just briefly mentioned Daytona 500. That's coming up not this weekend, next weekend. Daytona Racing Track itself is right near the beach. Obviously, Daytona Beach is very, very famous, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's funny you should say that because the first race was held in 1936 in Daytona. Listen to this one. Yeah. It was actually on the beach. That was the racing track. I didn't know that. That'd be cool. I'm the world's biggest sports fan, and I didn't know that at all. Because you can actually drive yeah. on the beach. It is There is actually a beach road at the back of Daytona Beach. You actually take a detour off. You can be swimming, and there'll be cars driving on the beach legally. Is that right? Yeah. They moved to the Daytona Speedway back in 1959. There's, but there's a whole lot of things you can do if you're heading there for your holiday, or if you're lucky enough to go to the Daytona 500. There's a boardwalk with a Ferris wheel. It's like a bit of a mini Coney Island. Oh, yeah. Oh, and if you go to the beach, you might see the manatees swimming. Manatees. That's what they're called. They're actually referred to as sea cows. Yeah. But if you, they can be pretty friendly. You've seen a sea manatee, yeah, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, in, in Florida, same place, and down in uh, Miami. They're pretty friendly, but very slow moving. They only eat kind of seagrass and lettuce and things like that. But there's a huge issue with them getting propeller cuts from speedboats yeah. going over the top because they don't get out the way. Did you know, Beefy, they grow new teeth their whole entire lives? But they just keep growing teeth. That's right. And in fact, they're also anatomically incapable of using their teeth to attack you. So you have to put your whole entire hand into a manatee's mouth before you can actually reach the manatee's teeth. They're just not capable of any mm. form of aggression. There you go. They're more likely to lick you to death than anything else. Well, they're called dugongs in Australia, aren't they? Really? Do we have them? Yes. Wow. I'll give you a few, few facts about Daytona 500. 160,000 people in the grandstands. It, its capacity sells out every year. In the infield on the inside of the track, you can actually fit two Disney Worlds. That's oh, how wow. big it is. Average speed of the winning race is about 180 miles an hour. So they just fly by. Lots of carnage. It's got 2,000 floodlights installed. Glows in the dark. Fantastic. Thanks for that. The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Welcome back to the Bucket List. Di, we're in Melbourne. It's the sports capital of the world. But what took my eye, mm. there is the traditional pre-season hurling tournament. Hurling is a fascinating sport. In fact, it's been played around the world, usually by Irish oh, expats. Yeah. It's played in the USA, Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand. And uh, in, in many parts of Ireland, however, hurling is a fixture of life. It is crazy. You have these bats made out of ash yeah. wood. Because there's no tackling, you carry the ball in your hand as well. You're allowed to play the ball with your bat. So if you're carrying the ball in your hand, legally, they're allowed to try and hit the ball out of your hand. Wow, that's got to hurt. Do they wear gloves? Oh, no. And, and they've just introduced uh, helmets, haven't they? They only brought 
compulsory wearing of helmets in probably less than five years ago. And why do you need a helmet? <laughs> it's obviously your hands that are at risk. No, no, no. If you're running and you're the guy chasing behind, how do you think you can play the ball from behind? You go through the body. You hit them over the head with a stick. This is how (laughs) crazy the Irish guys are to play hurling. Hilarious. It is. It's madness. You know what? Some people have called it a mixture of hockey and war. Yeah, I can agree with that. Hockey and war. That's about right. That definitely is about right. One of the world's oldest field sports, according to the Irish. Uh, It's been played for more than 800 years. Wow, 800 years. I didn't think it was going that long, but oh, there yeah. you go. It's uh, That's why it's part of their heritage, I guess. And didn't they try and list it as a UNESCO heritage sport or something? Yes, they've actually listed it as an element of intangible cultural heritage. Ooh. So isn't that funny, you know, chasing each other with a stick? <laughs> yeah. You're listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. All right, you're listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. We have a very special guest, Jed Smith, the manager of the National Sports Museum at the MCG. How many kind of items and individual things have you got actually on display at the museum? The average for most museums, which would shock most people, is that only about 2% of your collections are actually on display. So there's probably about 6,000 objects all in at any given time, but there's plenty more that we can use if we ever need to. Wow, that's amazing. And we also put on the, the tours of the uh, MCG, which are very popular, the stadium yeah. tours. Oh, I'd love to do the MCG tour. What sort of things would you yeah. see that most people wouldn't get to see doing an MCG tour? The cherry, kind of cherry on the cake is going into the change rooms because that's obviously where the inner sanctum of the, the ground, and you can just imagine the experiences that have been held in those rooms in football and cricket. But also you get onto the pitch side as well. You can go on the side of the turf and be out there looking up at the seats and imagining what it's like to be out in the centre. How many hours must I put aside if I'm going to see everything and get every tour in? I don't think you can see everything. I mean, if you think about the fact that we have something like 60 multimedia experiences, touch screens with endless amounts of footage relating to the teams or the players or the sports that they're... So, you know, if you looked at every bit of footage and read every label and read every word, you know, you could be there for four and a half weeks and still be only a fraction of the way through. So, so I wouldn't recommend that approach. Have you got some like, quirky pieces in the museum as well? We've got some amazing stuff. A couple of favourites of mine would be the, the cauldron that was used at the 1956 Melbourne Olympic Games. Oh, wow. To look at it, you'd think it was a paper mache copy because it doesn't look very sturdy. It doesn't look like a lot of money was spent on it compared to you know, something like the Sydney 2000. And it was actually lost after the Games. It ended up disappearing somewhere and it was found. It was a lucky coincidence. A guy walked into a, a council depot yard amongst all this rubbish and he saw this thing and he thought, that looks very familiar. And he did some inquiries and sure enough, that was the Olympic cauldron. So it was rescued from destruction oh. and it ended up coming back to us in our yeah, Olympic gallery. Do you ever get the, uh, the sneaky feeling that you want to set it on fire? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do worry that if it did catch fire, it might lose you. I don't, it doesn't look very sturdy. It really doesn't. I, I do worry about that. Now, you might not know this about me, uh, Jed, but I am officially mm. the world's biggest sports fan, Guinness World Record holder, being uh, identified as uh, as that. Jed, I was going to ask you, being the beefy does hold the world title for being the biggest sports fan. Sure. Would he be eligible to be on display in the National Sports <laughs> Museum? <laughs> We'd have to check the size of the showcases. We'd have to just do a bit of... Uh, <laughs> Just as some measurements, um, but um, if he was happy to get involved, we'd, look, we can have that conversation, absolutely. Yeah, nice. And I reckon if you're going to stand next to anyone, we've got the um, Gallatin of Carbine, the racehorse, Firelap's great-great-grandfather, um, who won the Melbourne Cup in 1895. He's on display. Real thoroughbreds. Yeah, but it- <laughs> yeah real thoroughbreds, yeah. <laughs> he can't actually mount the horse because it's a skeleton. <laughs> well, yeah. 
yeah, there'd be some dangerous RHS issues if you were mounting a skeleton of a horse. That is amazing because I really didn't know much about it, but it's obviously a tourist attraction you could take somebody mm. to from overseas. Oh, oh absolutely, definitely. yeah. Indian, of course. I mean, the Indian visitors to Melbourne, they, they make a beeline for the G. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a mecca for them. We do get a lot of people coming you know, almost straight from the airport, which is just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> you should have a hotel there. Oh. Yeah, we, well, well it's, yeah, yeah, these are the kind of things that stadiums do these days. They're, they're, right. they're seldom stadiums anymore. They're multiplexed cinemas and all sorts of things. So, so yeah, you never know one day, maybe. That's it. Well, Jed, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for giving us a bit of insight into the National Sports Museum. Pleasure. Great to speak to you both. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. You're on The Bucket List with me, Beefy, and Diana Simons. And again, we've got Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Holidays on the phone. And Daniel's going to tell us about one of his more interesting tours that he's got. Today I'm going to talk about the Isle of Man TT, Beefy, one of our favourite events here at Sportsnet Holidays. The Isle of Man, it's a small island. It's located just off the coast of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland. I'm going to put it in very, very layman's terms here. It's motorbike racing on the roads. It's not on a, on a circuit. Well, it is a circuit, but it's just on the normal street roads of the Isle of Man. It's known as the world's fastest and most dangerous road racing event. Speeds can be in excess of 300 kilometres an hour. The riders have to navigate a never-ending series of bends and bumps and jumps and stone walls and, and manhole covers and, and telegraph poles. And it's certainly uh, a challenging event for them. It is very unique, and in today's day and age of safety and everything else, I'm hoping that the Isle of Man TT keeps going and going, but unfortunately, it, like you say, it is one of the most dangerous sporting events on the uh, world sporting calendar. Unfortunately, two riders pass away on average per year since its inception back in the early 1900s. That's the downside to what is one of the best bucket list events on earth. Yeah, definitely. First one is on Saturday the 1st of June this year. The last one being on Friday the 7th of June. They leave a day free in between each race uh, for the simple reason that uh, the weather can be quite inclement at the Isle of Man uh, at that time. So the organisers need the flexibility to be able to change the race schedule uh, over that seven or eight days. But, you know, we have packages that include race day one and two. We have packages that include race days three and four. Or we have packages that include all four. And, and we have packages that are escorted, so we, we look after our clients from start to finish. Or we have the more simple packages where we include the, the, the flights, the tickets and the accommodation, and then the clients do, our clients do what they wish whilst they're on the Isle of Man. So everything through us is official. Uh, we work with Cameron Donald, Australian road racing legend, two-time TT winner. Uh, he's our event ambassador. Some of the special experiences we offer, we do a lap of the TT course in a coach with a TT legend or current rider where... You know, our clients really get to understand what, what the riders are thinking and feeling and what's going through their minds whilst they're going around the track. We do a TT Riders panel dinner, which is hosted by Cam, uh, and we have a huge amount of, of past and, and present riders present uh, at, at the event. We get access to the world-famous Craig Knight Bar Pub, best viewing and vantage point on the island. Only 80 people uh, over the four days get the chance to experience that on their famous balcony, and, and we have it for two of those four days. And on our Platinum Tour, we do a private dinner for just 25 people with Cam and a surprise guest. Wow, that, that sounds absolutely amazing. And we talk all the time about making it so easy to go on an escorted tour. Basically, you fly there, you get your transfers, you get your hotel, you get your tickets. Everything is done for you. You literally just got to turn up. No doubt, BP. With the Isle of Man, it can be quite difficult. The, the population of the Isle of Man is about 80,000. But over TT Race Week, that doubles to 160,000 people, which... 
is absolutely enormous. So getting flights to and from the island, getting transfers, or whether it's ferries, getting accommodation, getting around the track is all really, really difficult. And, and we can solve those problems for our clients by making it as easy as possible. Sounds absolutely brilliant. There is nothing like literally having a bike go past you at 300 kilometres an hour within two or three metres of the action. It's just, I don't think you can describe it to the average person. Until you've actually experienced it, you'll never really understand but we also give them the, the real experience where they're sitting right up against the track and, and seeing these riders fly by within those few feet or few metres. Yeah, it's unbelievable. One thing I have got to ask you about, I've seen the TT on the TV and I've seen the sidecars go around this track. Now, I don't know if these guys do get their brains removed before they jump on board, but I can't imagine <laughs> sitting on the side of a motorcycle doing 250 kilometres an hour, hanging on for dear life and literally just having extreme extreme faith in the talents and abilities of the guy actually riding the bike and it's just ah oh, it blows my mind away yeah yeah you know i don't like jumping in the car with half my mates traveling at 60 kilometers an hour you know so, <laughs> yeah. let alone in a sidecar but you're spot on the the trust between the two gentlemen in that car and the driver has to have just as much trust in the passenger in the swinger, yeah. no it's unbelievable if you want to go and experience tt Please consider Sportsnet Holidays to do your escorted tour. It is a 1-300-888-858 or jump on their website, sportsnetholidays.com. Daniel, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you again real soon.